listen to this podcast at your peril because spoilers lie ahead. Make sure you've seen all the episodes of Shadow and Bone and welcome to the Grishaverse. The idea for The Fold came from a night I spent uh, alone in a dark house. We've all been there. We fall asleep in the daytime and when we wake up, the room is pitch black. In that moment, we panic. And I was sure that somebody was in the house with me. Um, because, of course, serial killers wait for you to wake up before they kill you. <laughs> for author Lee Barduco, that experience got her thinking. And when I finally calmed down and realized there was nobody there, and my heart rate returned to normal, and I had turned on every light in the house and looked in every closet and under every bed, I started getting ready to go to sleep and... I couldn't shake this idea that no matter how old you are, how smart you are, you never lose your fear of the dark. And so I begin to wonder, you know, what if darkness was a place? And thus, the Shadow Fold was born. He intends to expand the Fold and use it as a weapon. The Fold? If I knew safe passage through that, I'd be wealthier than the whole merchant council. The Fold ate your parents. I get it. The whole country wants to see the Fold gone. Welcome to Behind the Scenes. This season, we've been going deep into the world, characters, and locations of Shadow and Bone, the new Netflix fantasy adventure series based on the novels by Lee Barduco. We've traveled all around the Grishaverse, through Ravka and the Little Palace, to Ketterdam and the Crow Club. And now, we're dedicating our last episode to the Shadow Fold. We'll talk to the writers about its origins and hear how the Fold was brought to the screen through sound design and visual effects. Is it a wall of clouds? Is it a wall of black gelatin? How black is black? And we'll dig into the underlying themes in that final battle between Alina the Sun Summoner and General Kirigan, the Shadow Summoner. He knows the evils of men, and he knows the ones he wants to protect. I'm your host, Brandon Jenkins. Let's get into it. Where better to start this episode than with the origin of General Kirigan? He's known by many names in the Grishaverse. Alexander, the Black Heretic, and also the Darkling. The story goes, young Darkling fights two young teenagers around a frozen lake and people try to drown each other. Writer Christina Strain had the job of writing episode seven when we catch a glimpse of Kirigan's past and see what led him to create the Shadowfold. But Christina knew that what was in Lee's books was not ideal for a television shoot. And if you know anything about production, kids are difficult and water is very difficult. So it was like, for production purposes, do we want to do this or do we want to utilize our very handsome actor, Ben Barnes, and tell a story with Ben Barnes? Actually, what they came up with in the end, what I think was even more exciting to me because I got to kind of portray him as a younger man with hope and a younger man trying to do things the right way. And I wanted people to understand his pain and the pain out of which the fold was born and the anger that fueled its, its creation and to show that it wasn't intentional. The story the writers came up with was this. Centuries before the Darkling becomes General Kirigan, he's just another Grisha trying to survive in Ravka a place where Grisha are hunted and persecuted by the king's army. 
we decided to make an adjustment to the backstory of the Darkling to make it a little more explicit to the audience what Grisha, like how, to what lengths he'll go to save Grisha and make that crystal clear in that moment so that you understand who this character is. There's an intense standoff between the army and the Grisha. And when the Kingsmen kill the healer he's in love with, the Darkling fights back. This was actually a pitch of Lee's to make it a story about who General Kerrigan was before the fold and like how much he lost along the way. He unleashes his full power to try and gain control over the Ravkin army. I have no army to fight yours, so I shall remake yours as my own. Submit to me! But instead of creating an army, he creates a shadow fold. The script reads, close on Kirigan. He smiles, and then he stops, straining. The spell is as bad were warned. Too much. Too unstable. In a primal scream of pain, he tilts his head up, and... Shadows explode from his body. Because the fold is made from General Kerrigan, sound designer Craig Hennigan embedded Kerrigan into the fold. I basically took Kerrigan's voice. And as he's yelling, I ran it through this program called Sound Particles, which basically sort of rips apart the sound and particleizes it. So when you see the fold created, you have this cool sound. It's actually rooted again in General Kerrigan. Visual effects supervisor Ted Ray brought that same attention to character when designing the look of the fold. But first, he had some existential questions. What is it? Is it a wall of clouds? Is it a wall of black gelatin? How black is black? Ted has been in the industry for 40 years. You probably know him best for his Emmy award-winning work for Game of Thrones. And when showrunner Eric Heiserer started to think about the fold, he knew he had to get Ted. Our first ideas we found were either too much or not enough like something that would live in the real world. And that's when Ted and Eric had a breakthrough. Because Alina is the Sun Summoner and Kerrigan is the Darkling, what came to mind immediately was, okay, she's light, he's dark. She's the Sun. What if he's the Black Sun? And Ted thought about... What if it's black fire? What if this is like a photo negative of the sun? It is the anti-Alina space. What if it's like we're looking down at the biggest fireball anyone's ever seen, only there's just thousands of them all together, and that's all in a flat surface? Can we give a texture that looks like it's roiling and alive and full of uh, some sort of temperate fury and then make it perfectly still once you got inside? That stillness, when Alina first enters the shadow fold, was full of tension thanks to sound mixer Brad North. So as we first get into the fold, we actually hear her breaths. Um, her 
you know, it's not super panicked. She just, she's just, she's confused. She doesn't know what's going on. She's a little scared. Now, you know, she looks around and we hear the, the, the Volcra fly by. And then we hear, you know, other people whispering or, or, or panicking, you know, then things build up and build up. And then, you know, all, all chaos happens. Um, but for that one beat, you're there with her. And, and that's what the track is doing there. And if Kirigan created the Shadow Fold out of desperation centuries ago, just what exactly is in there? Okay. If inside the Fold is the, this massive environment that is filled with Kirigan's darkness, if you take that powdery darkness that, that, that he conjures up out of the shadows and turns into objects, if you take that and you spread it out over hundreds and hundreds of miles, it becomes this dark, foggy environment, except instead of the fog being water, it's his black particulate. So you have your, you know, your very, very basic earthquake-type rumbles, avalanche-type rumbles, and then any sort of hurricane and tornado-type sort of winds is where I sort of started, ultimately as a, as a jumping-off point. This is Craig Hennigan, the master sound designer behind Kirigan's scream within the fold the guy who records sugar and water and slaps beef around for fun. For the Shadow Fold, Craig might have started with very basic sounds like earthquake rumbles and tornado winds. But from there, he took a more unorthodox route. And then you start sort of looking for sounds that sort of are a little bit more interesting. And what I what I ended up finding early on was uh, I have this really great old library of of old sort of like circus and um, sort of carnival type things and uh, just like different recordings of these old sort of 60s and 70s carnivals and haunted house horror horror haunted house things and they're really on their own they're really poorly bad, badly recorded but there's a couple haunted house things that I was like oh that's kind of cool like so what if I did a haunted house version of what the Volcra would be Folkra were men. And women. Children. I want him to be a prize. When Kirigan created the fold, it ripped across the land of Ravka, and all the people who were living there, they became the Volkra. Craig and Eric wanted to keep that human quality in their cries. The thing with, with the Volkra that I think came from Lee or came from the book and that Eric definitely and I talked about was that the Volcra are basically trapped humans, right? Like they're trapped people in there in, in, and they're, they're sad. They're like sad creatures. And if you listen closely, you can actually hear the human-esque type thing. The, you got the dry ice Volcra, you got an owl Volcra, I think. But then there's a couple other ones there that are definitely myself. I'm just performing sort of moans and cries and stuff. And then I've just, I've processed it through, you know, you know, I use a bunch of different types of plugins to process my voice a certain different way. We wanted to have a very bestial screech that if you stripped away some of that feral quality, you would hear a man or a woman screaming almost as if for help. And so we did a whole pass. A lot of the Volcra, um, especially later on in the, in the episodes, have a little bit more sadness to them, a little bit more moaniness to them and, and crying to them. I generally take a snippet of a moan or a cry and I'll take 
maybe the beginning of it, and then I attach it to a dry ice squeal or um, a monster roar or something, you know, or, or a lion roar or a tiger roar. Um, and that's sort of how, how things sort of like evolve in, in sort of the language of what the Volker are doing. If you look closely, you can also see how VFX supervisor Ted Ray retained a barely visible remnant of those former humans. And on the wings, we even kept a short um, thumb and pointer finger on it so that it would have, in addition to flying, it would have the ability to use that thumb and pointer finger like a hand. Most of the references for these flesh-eating monsters came from the natural world and not just from winged creatures. I'm fascinated by great white sharks. I always have been. There, you know, it's a line in the original movie Jaws. This is a perfect eating machine. Um, And so I wanted to get a little bit of that feeling in there that there is this big, broad mouth, this huge, open throat that has all these teeth in the front. So like I said, if it bit your head off, it could swallow it all in one chunk. I have a deep abiding fear of sharks. And I think that uh, the fold, now that I think about it, is sort of like a dark ocean wherein it had, you know, full of flying Mm. sharks. And I think that um, Ted and the team took it a very different but much fresher place. I think that they took the description in the book and and they just leveled it up to something even more horrifying. So first time seeing uh, it on screen, were you terrified? (laughs) I mean... Honestly, Brandon, no. Like, <laughs> I, I, I know what's coming, so I don't. But I will say that uh, there's a moment when this Volcra rises up behind one of the characters and you just see it in silhouette. I had a very horror movie moment of being like, oh my God, look behind you. <laughs> By the time Alina comes along, the origin of the Shadow Fold is just a myth. Only Bagra and Kirigan know the truth. But for him, it represents freedom for his people. Everything that I have done, everything that I have ever done, has been to make Ravka safer, to make Grisha safer. Over the centuries, the Grisha have become valuable since they are the best way to guarantee safe passage through the Shadow Fold. Squallers who control wind move skiffs across the Fold. Heart renders feel for Volcra and can predict an attack. Inferni kill Volcra with flames. And Kirigan is not about to destroy what he thinks keeps his people safe. I think he's probably tried every which way possible to protect his people and to and to bring about peace and to not have his people be be hunted. And I think it's an interesting area to investigate because Even in our world today, I think when some people try to protect their people, if they're being persecuted, it's an incredibly noble thing. But if you're trying to protect your people when they're not being persecuted, it's, um, it's, it's, it's something that is unforgivable and, and kind of impossible for the rest of us to understand. But what Alina sees is that the Grisha are no longer in danger. They live in an elegant palace, They always have food, clothing, warm fires, and hot baths. They have what the rest of Ravka wants. Safety. You have me. You have this. Destroy the fold. 
You said we could. And why would we destroy the fold? It's the greatest weapon that we've got. In that moment, Alina's face registers a mixture of confusion and despair. Growing up an orphan whose parents died in the fold, the destruction of the Shadow Fold means liberation for her country. For all Ravkins. Alina's thoughts on and feelings on Ravka and on found family and on Grisha and on her future uh, are quite different from Kerrigan and his. And they're all shaped by their past, but Alina's continues to be one built on optimism and hope. I've always felt like an outsider, especially when I first got here. But now I finally feel like I belong. And not that I just belong here, but to something greater. That we can offer Grisha and Ravkins hope for the future. And Kirigan is like, I would say, maybe a comparison would be Magneto from X-Men. He knows the evils of men. And he knows the ones he wants to protect. And that circle of people is not as big as hers. Kirigan's circle is made up solely of Grisha. And like Magneto with the X-Men, Kirigan is willing to kill anyone who threatens his people. Because of Alina's past, her circle is wider. It includes the non-Grisha and the Grisha. That, that's something I read about empathy. There was a fascinating white paper on empathy in people. And that when you talk about the word family or community, some see that as a very small circle of people that they care about. And then everyone else is a potential enemy. And then there are others who have a larger circle that feel like they don't have to know you to want to protect you and make sure you're healthy and safe. Um, and they don't see you as an enemy. These fundamentally different worldviews are what set up the final showdown. The entire season of Shadow and Bone has been leading up to an epic battle with all our characters in the fold. That was one of my favorite days. I felt absolutely exhilarated. I love stunt work. Yeah, you were buzzing. I love, I was literally <laughs> buzzing. I was buzzing so hard. It was the best day. For the actors, it was extra meaningful since they'd been bonding throughout the whole shooting process. We all just really liked each other immediately. And within like the first week, you know, we were going out for dinner every night and just all hanging out all the time. Jesse and I had a lot of time to talk because we were doing horse riding lessons together and stunt sequences together and obviously rehearsing our scenes with each other all the time. So we had a lot of time, especially in these long bus journeys to where we would do the horse training sort of an hour and a bit each way. Uh, Jesse would be eating potatoes. You can put a lot of money on that. I've ne Honestly, I've never seen someone eat so many potatoes. And let's be honest, part of the joy of this final episode for viewers is also that our main characters are together. The bold move is to strike now. And the smart one is to get clear of the damned fold first. I never said I was smart. Can you believe him? I'm going with him. We see the Crows and Alina's storyline finally intersect on a massive ship called a sand skiff. Built on a soundstage in Budapest, it was almost 80 feet long, had multiple levels, and was on a hydraulic system that allowed it to sway and move like it was actually crossing the fold. Kit Young, who plays Jesper, 
was in his element. You know, there was something that kind of felt a bit swashbuckling about Jesper anyway, but I was like, I'm on a pirate ship. Oh yeah, I like this. <laughs> and felt like I was on the set of Hook. We wait for the actions up there. They have the advantage. Only because I'm not in the game. For Amita Suman, who plays in Edge, this sequence was a chance to do her own stunt work on a deck 25 feet up in the air. It's so strange because you learn a routine, you know, in rehearsals, but then you get on set and suddenly you're on this tiny deck that's, I don't know, four foot by six or something like that. And, you know, all you have is this tiny bar that's holding everyone there. So then it's, it was just constant readjusting and just figuring it out more so on the day and using the rehearsals as, as more of a um, foundation for, for fighting. But the final showdown happens between Mal and Kirigan. Ben, yeah, Ben is like my mentor, man. Actor Archie Renault, who plays Mal, knew Ben Barnes from when they'd worked together on a previous TV show. It was quite crazy that a fast forward a year from doing the, the show that I met him on, we'd be working together again and, and going up against each other. So that was, <laughs> it, yeah, it's, it, it's funny how that kind of happens. Yeah, the six degrees of theater, you know? Um, yeah. When I got offered this job and I heard that he was auditioning for that character, I literally said, this guy is amazing. If you want someone who is going to set him on fire, <laughs> then this is your guy. So when it came down to fisticuffs in the fold, they both went full force. Just like being in the stunt room and rehearsing that, you know, night after night, uh, before or after work with, with with Archie and wanting, you know, both of us being the kind of guys like, no, I don't want to stunt up, I want to do it, I want to do it, I can do it, let me do it. Put me in, put me in, coach. And on on the on the day, I mean I was I think, yeah, you would have seen I'm very bloodied up and Mal's kind of got his ass served to him a bit. <laughs> I think maybe this one bit made made the made the cut where I kind of fall over and then do a sort of back roll. And that wasn't like plan that was because Ben had probably hit me so hard I fell over and did, 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 a, did, a, did a back roll. The wonderful thing about that fight is it, it, it they make it seem like a vaguely equal fight, but Mal actually never ever lands a punch on the dark. <laughs> and I think that that was a really interesting choice by the stunt team to uh, kind of organise uh, that fight so that essentially I'm just w wailing on him. But the, but the fight still seems equal because because Mal is a canny. Street Fighter. I don't have to kill you, Darkling. Your past will do it for me. As for Alina's storyline, she seems to resolve her arc at the moment when the amplifier staghorns are absorbed into her collarbones. It's Alina fully embodying her own power and regaining her agency. You cannot claim what was not given to you. The stag chose me. And in her own way, Jessie Mae Lee absorbed a little bit of Alina as well. There were a few times towards the end where I would have dreams that I was Alina. And that was, <laughs> that, honestly, it was really worrisome. I would wake up and be like, where am I? <laughs> and it would be in the middle of the, you know, it'd be 3 a.m. pickup and I've woken up and I'm thinking about the stag. I think because I felt so, you know, I really understood Alina. I felt like she was like my little sister in lots of ways. And as for the Crows, what did they learn over the course of this season? I'll let Jesper sum it up. People with trains are evil. 
You can't kidnap a human sunbeam. And maybe, just maybe, greed is a poor motivator. True wealth is the friends you make along the way. I just might be impressed. I'm talking of Milo, of course. The Shadow and Bone production wrapped shooting in Hungary in February 2020, a few weeks before the World Health Organization labeled the novel coronavirus a global pandemic. The cast and crew dispersed, and post-production happened during lockdown from dozens of locations all around the world. But even with the distance, the team was able to come together and bring Shadow and Bone to life. As for Lee Barduco, it's always been about the fans. I often get asked, you know, what do you want people to take away from this? And I'm like, I just want them to have a place to to be for a little while, a place to hide if they need to hide or escape or, you know, a place to feel brave or um, to get swept up in the romance or the adventure. That's enough. Behind the Scenes Shadow and Bone was produced by Netflix and Pineapple Street Studios. Our executive producers are Max Linsky, Jenna Weiss-Berman, and Barry Finkel. This production was led by producers Christine Driscoll and Melissa Slaughter. Our associate producers are Maria Robbins-Somerville and Brianna Garrett. Our managing producer is John Asante. Editing by Darby Maloney, Hannes Brown is our engineer, and special thanks to Lily Slayton. I'm your host, Brandon Jenkins. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe for the next season, where we'll be diving into another fantastic Netflix series. Until next time. Mm-hmm.